This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. How y'all doing today? Let's go. It's a good day to be in the house of God together. And would you all help me welcome everybody that's joining us online this morning. Let's give a big round of applause for... Emmanuel at home or on the road or wherever you are. If you're online today, uh, if you just drop a little wave hand at me or if you really like something, you put some fire emojis if something's funny, some laughing face emojis. If you're in the room, just do that, but on your face. Um, it'll be good. Today I wanna talk to you in Mark chapter 11 about what I like to call a mission critical moment in Jesus's story. We've been reading through Mark and there's some amazing things that Jesus has done. And we're getting to the point where I think everything's becoming mission critical. Now, each of us has our own little mission critical moments during our lives. If you're a teenager, it could be that your parents gave you a list of things to do before they get home from work. And that mission gets more and more critical when they call you when they're on their way home from work and they say, hey, did you do the things I asked you to do yet? And as the teenager goes, Mom, Dad, I gotta go. Uh, and then they start setting a Guinness Book world record for how fast they can wash dishes and pick up the clothes in the room. Or if you're a husband and wife and you have a honey-do list, honey-do lists start out really generous kind of as ideas or prompts or wouldn't it be nice? And then they move into this zone where they become mission critical where if they don't happen in a certain period of time, there's gonna be difficulty in the relationship. Jesus, in Mark chapter 11, is stepping into the last seven days of his life on earth before he's going to face the cross. And everything is heightened. I imagine in his own soul, he was thinking of all the things that he had yet to do before he was going to face the cross in just one week's time. And for context of what we're going to read through today, at the beginning of Mark chapter 11, there's this uh, incredible moment where Jesus is on his way from the suburbs into the city. He's going from Bethany and Bethpage into the city of Jerusalem, and people begin to recognize him for who he is. And I love this because a Bible editor at some point decided that they would title this section The Triumphal Entry. And that's ironic to me because when I think of triumphal entries in Jesus's day, what would be normal is that a king would come with a whole entourage into a new city at the city gate and it would be a thing. Now, I know your imagination's like mine and when you think of this, you're thinking what I'm thinking. You're thinking Aladdin, aren't you? You remember the scene in Aladdin where uh, you got the, the new version, you got the Will Smith genie and he's got the song and the dance and his prince Ali, fabulous, he, like that kind of a deal. I can't do too much of the song, not because of my singing, but because copyright laws online will only allow me that much. So those of you who are wanting more, <laughs> just gonna cut it short right there. But as he's approaching the city, it's elephants and birds and colors and dancers and army and all of this impressive stuff. It's a triumphal entry. Jesus, imagine what kind of thing you'd think he'd get as the king of all kings, the one who spoke creation into existence. Jesus comes in on a donkey as a humble king into the city of Jerusalem. And people on the way are throwing their coats down and they're shouting, they're saying, praise God, blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessing on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David, praise God in the highest heaven. And they're excited because they're seeing Jesus as the Messiah 
the anointed one. And the word praise God here, other translations say, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, those words literally just translate to save me, save us. So think about that. Save us. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in the highest heaven. And so this is where we'll pick up the story in Mark chapter 11, verses 11 through 17. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the, with the 12 disciples. Bethany is one of the little suburb cities not too far from the city. The next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off, so he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. And when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Friends, Jesus was not happy. He had seen something when he inspected the temple the day before. He slept on it. He woke up. It was still in his craw. He wasn't feeling good about it. There was something that Jesus didn't like when he looked at the temple. It wasn't the picture of the temple that it was designed to be. And Jesus is upset. Uh, Jesus, when he's quoting scripture here, I like to say Jesus is going Old Testament on him. He's actually just quoting from the prophets in the Old Testament. Every word he said was a word spoken through a prophet in the Old Testament. He said, my, my temple will be called the house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. Now to understand this today, I want to talk to us about the temple the tree, and you and me. And so we're going to start with the temple. What was it? What was so different about what Jesus saw than what Jesus had hoped he would see in the temple? And to, to understand this, we have to go back in scripture to Isaiah chapter 56, because Isaiah 56 paints the picture of what the temple was intended to be like. Starting in verse 1 of Isaiah 56, it says, be just and fair to all. Do what is right and good. For I'm coming soon to rescue you and display my righteousness among you. Blessed are all those who are careful to do this. Blessed are those who honor my Sabbath days of rest and keep themselves from doing wrong. Verse 3, don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me be part of his people. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest, and will hold fast my covenant. I'll bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. For the sovereign Lord who brings back the outcasts of Israel says, I will bring others too besides my people Israel. So the intention of the temple was this. 
It was set up for God's people, Israel, but it didn't matter if someone came from a distant land, spoke a different language, had a different skin color, looked different, talked different, act a little bit different. If they wanted to come and worship God for who he was, there was to be joy in their experience in the temple when they got there. They're to be given a name better than a name that sons and daughters could give them. And the problem is when Jesus walked in, he saw a different picture in Mark chapter 11. And I don't know about you guys, but I get a little bit hungry during church. <laughs> My wife was up here with me a few weeks ago and she said that I get hangry. She spoke the truth. Have you ever just wished during the middle of church you could grab a donut? Have <laughs> you ever wished that? Like, if you could smell this, <laughs> that sweet sugary glaze. <laughs> For those listening to the podcast later, I'm holding a tray of donuts in my hands and they're glorious. Mm. Wow. <laughs> that is so good. How many of you wish you could have one share a donut with me right now? <laughs> I'd love to share them, but I'm just going to keep them for myself. If you want one, the Emanuel Cafe sells them. You can go over there and get them. They told me after first service they sold more than they've ever sold. <laughs> so you might have to go down to like Dunkin' Donuts or something today. Wow, I'm just gonna, if you don't mind, I'm gonna. Whoa, wow. That's so good. I had no idea how good that would taste during the middle of church. I even brought a napkin. Mm, give me one more second here. Mm. So glad I have 12 of them and you don't have any. Doesn't it feel awkward? Sorry, that coffee's good too. Can I just, can we get a camera shot of that, Emmanuel? There you go. Mm. It feels a little bit awkward though, doesn't it, that I have access to 12 donuts right now on the platform with me, and I'm not sharing them. Doesn't that feel a little weird? I have so much here and I'm keeping it all to myself. And I'm actually telling you that if you wanted to have the experience that I'm having, there's extra work that you have to do to have that same experience. It's a little bit the same of what Jesus was experiencing when he walked into the temple. You see, the temple wasn't the picture it was intended to be. As a matter of fact, foreigners at this time were only allowed into certain parts of the temple. They didn't have full access like the Jewish people did. So much so that there's actually a stone engraved that separated two areas and it said if you're a foreigner and you want to go into this part of the temple, you do so at your own risk and more than likely you're gonna be harmed and at risk of your life. It was called a wall of hostility. It separated people. Secondly, there was these money changers and they would give unjust rates. I don't know if you've ever traveled to a different country, but one of the things you have to do is figure out how to purchase things there. And so you take your dollars and there's all sorts of people when you go on a street that are like, money exchange, money exchange, money exchange. And you get a little bit insecure because you're like, I don't know if they're gonna take advantage of me. People that were in the temple in that moment were taking advantage of people who had traveled great distances to participate in worship. Then they were selling animals, which was actually, a, a, it started out with a good intention because to offer a sacrifice, you had to have an animal to sacrifice, but not just any kind of animal. The animal, it had to be pure, it had to be unblemished, 
And so people that were traveling a great distance, it was very difficult to keep an animal from any sort of injury on a great, uh, on a great trip like that. Imagine you yourself traveling in a really nice car on a road trip with a toddler and you give the toddler a, a bowl full of trail mix and you say, hey, 12 hours from now, I don't want any of that spilled in the car. It's just probably not gonna happen. And so people would come and they'd be able to purchase an animal that they could then sacrifice. The trouble was that they were inflating the prices so much it became hard for people to even purchase the animals to offer a sacrifice and to worship. You take it a whole nother step further and there were Jewish religious zealots in the temple who weren't, who weren't happy with being under Roman government. And so they would go around within the temple area and they, would, they had this motive in this prayer that God would purge the temple from the Romans, that the Romans would be gone from the temple, that he'd clear them out of the temple. But then there were some that would go so far as to hope and pray that God would clear every foreigner out of the temple so that it could just be them with access to the temple of God and to worship. You see, the, the people of God were supposed to be bearing, living lives that bore God's kind of fruit. And the temple was supposed to be a place where everybody from all nations could come and worship together. And what they encountered instead when foreigners came to the temple was they encountered roadblocks. They encountered roadblocks in the form of money changers. They encountered roadblocks in the form of restricted areas. They encountered roadblocks in the form of those who were selling animals at inflated prices. And so instead of having access to something, they had roadblocks put in their way that made it more difficult them, for them to, to pray and to worship together. You see, the people that were leading the temple wanted exclusivity, but God wanted access. They wanted to keep it to themselves, but God wanted it for everybody. And so Jesus enters the scene, and we have to look first at, well, what did Jesus do when he saw something unjust? It bothered him. It's okay when we see unjust things in our world for those things to bother us. And what Jesus did is he literally cleared the roadblocks out of people's way. He removed the roadblocks. Jesus didn't clear out the foreigners from the temple. Jesus made a way for them in the temple. Jesus did not destroy the temple, but he said, if you destroy this temple, it'll raise up in three days. Jesus did not exclude people. Jesus was for people. He was and is for people of all nations. Listen, I know there's people in the room right now that you maybe are here and you're from Africa or South or Central America or Europe or Ukraine, Russia area. I want you to know that Jesus is for you. If you grew up in the United States of America in a rural area, Jesus is for you. If you grew up in the burbs, Jesus is for you. If you grew up in the city, Jesus is for you. Doesn't matter what color your skin is, it doesn't matter the dialect of the language you speak, Jesus is for you. Listen, we get so caught up in wanting people to look like us, talk like us, act like us, that those are the people that we're for. Jesus was for people from all nations. And we're so bad at this. Listen, I love even speaking Spanish, but it's, it's funny. Like you can read this verse and just go, no, mi casa será una casa de oración para todas, todas las naciones. And some of y'all Spanish speakers are like, why is he speaking like an Argentine? <laughs> if he really loved us, he'd be like, Mi casa será una casa de oración para todas las naciones. Okay? So, listen, even within dialects of shared culture, we can have separation between us. 
Even if we're, we're, we're looking at people from different places, we start having separation. But I want you to know today, Jesus is for all people from all nations. So much so that when he came and he walked the earth, I'm going to read through some scripture for you right now. Because John 1.12 tells us that all who believed in him and to all who accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. That, mean, that word all there is one of my favorite words in the whole world because that includes me and it includes you. John 3, 16 and 17 says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Listen, some of us want to take the place of the judge and judge who can have access and who can't have access. If Jesus didn't do it then, we don't have the right to do it now. Jesus wants everybody to have access to eternity. Galatians chapter three goes even further. Listen to this. I love this one. It says, for you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. What that means is every single one of us in this room we walked into church today and we've had labels or identity things in our life where we've given ourselves a label, we've given ourselves an identity, or someone's put one on us. What this means is when we came into church today, Jesus said, listen, that's fine that you came in with that, but to, but to everyone who believes in me, who accepts me, I give them a new label and it's mine. You're a son and a daughter of God most high. And it doesn't matter if you came in here feeling one way, you can leave feeling different. And matter of fact, here's some new clothes says you put on Jesus like you put on clothes. That means all the old stuff, all the things, maybe you felt weighted down by sin or shame or bad decisions in your past or guilt or, you know, I've been trying to live this certain way, trying to build a name for myself. All of that, we get to put aside and put on Jesus. And you just turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus looks good on you. <laughs> so what about the wall of hostility? Ephesians chapter 2, 14 and 15 says this. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law and its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. You see, Jesus did all of this so that his temple could once again be a house of prayer for all nations. And when we gather together as Emmanuel, Emmanuel is a church that believes this verse. When you come to Emmanuel, I don't care where you come from or what your heritage, ethnicity is, I want you to know that you have a place at Emmanuel because just like the temple in the New Testament, Jesus was trying to set it straight, I believe is true for Emmanuel today that this is God's house. It's a house of prayer for all nations. What that means is that the people that are in the house with you today who look different than you, who have a different story than you, who have a different background than you, who've had different experiences than you, when you look around the room today, you're looking at your brother and you're looking at your sister. And sometimes it takes a little bit of patience 
and a little bit of grace to understand. It means we have to pause, we have to listen to stories, we have to seek people out to engage, and then we have to be patient so that we can understand where each other came from because every single person in this room and every single person listening online today matters to Jesus. And if they matter to Jesus, they matter to us. All right, that's the temple. I told you we'd talk about the temple, the tree, and you and me. So let's move forward. Let's go on to the tree. The tree's kind of a fun part of this story. Remember the fig tree? Remember Jesus woke up? He was hungry. Some people thought maybe he was hangry um, because he, he, he saw this tree. It was in full leaf. If you, see, if you see a tree with leaves, you're thinking, hey, there's going to be fruit on that tree. Jesus got up to it. There was no fruit on it. And Jesus said, you know what? No one's ever going to eat from you again. And so people have different thoughts on what was really happening in this moment. There's some people that don't have faith in Christ yet in their life, and they use this story, this moment, as a way of saying, see, Jesus isn't that great. Jesus is petty. Jesus threw a temper tantrum. Jesus said, you know what, tree? If you ain't going to feed me, you ain't going to feed anybody. <laughs> I put you in this world. I can take you out of this world. But I have a question for you. If you owned an orchard, if you had an apple orchard, let's say, and you had a tree that wasn't producing fruit, wasn't giving you apples, you'd do a little bit of work, you try to prune it, you try to care for it. But after a while, what would you do? You'd chop it down and you'd put in a tree that would bear fruit, right? And so Jesus, in the most cool, supernatural object lesson ever, is speeding up the process of the inevitable end of this tree to show something. You see, what was really going on as Jesus was showing his disciples, listen, there's people that are going into the temple every single day, and it looks like they have fruit in their life. They have all the branches, they have all the leaves. They have, I'll say it like this to you. There's people that, they show up to church on time. They wear the right clothes to church. They go to first service. Um, wait, I'm, what service are you? They go to second service. I'm just teasing. They have the big Bible with their name stamped on the front of it. It looks like, you know, if they're going to church every week, if they're showing up on time, if they're raising their hands during the worship, surely, surely, surely there's fruit in their life of Jesus being at work, right? And what Jesus is saying is it's a bad thing to pretend like you're one thing, but to really be another. And if you live that way, there's a dryness that's in your soul that will eventually show up and leave you feeling spiritual empty. And he's giving a strong warning to religious people. And then he's looking at the whole picture of the temple and saying, listen, the temple, it's beautiful. It's still under construction. It's this beautiful site. And it looks like it should be having productive fruit to the ministry that happens there. But he's saying in this moment, it's falling short and it's gonna go away. So, okay, that's a tree. Temple tree, you and me. Pastor, thanks for teaching us. What does this mean for us today? Uh, what is the temple and what does the tree have to do, do with us today? You see, the fascinating thing, starting with the temple, is then the temple was a place that you went to to encounter the presence of God where you would worship. And it was thought that that was where the presence of God resided. When Jesus came and he walked the earth and he left, he sent his Holy Spirit. 
And every believer, everybody that follows Jesus has the spirit of Christ inside of them. First Corinthians tells us that our bodies now are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of Christ is the spirit that's inside of us. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 goes on and it expands it beyond ourselves into what is, the, what is it a, us as a corporate body of believers together? It says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where, the, where God lives by his spirit. What the scriptures in the New Testament teach us is that for you and for me, we're now temples of the Holy Spirit. That spirit that, that people go to encounter in the temple in the olden days is the spirit that's inside of me so that people that encounter me in their everyday life, they can encounter a little bit of the spirit, the presence of God. Not that I'm God, but God lives in me and I can share what he's done in me. And when we gather together, we form the temple of God. And what's beautiful is it's not, uh, it's not a, a, a one ethnicity thing. It's not a one race thing. It's all the beautiful races, ethnicities, ethnicities of the world joining together to form a beautiful temple where we can all show people the glory of God through the way we live our lives and the way we join together corporately. And it's my dream that just as Emmanuel has been historically, that we continue being a house of prayer for all nations. So no matter who would come through the doors of this church, they would feel welcomed and feel part of the body of Christ. You see, that's the temple now. The tree now is interesting because remember we put on new clothes. We put on the clothes of Christ inside of us and his spirit that is at work inside of us, it grows a certain kind of fruit in our life. Later on in the scriptures, you learn that the, the fruit of the spirit in your life that that produces, the spirit of Christ in you, is it produces love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. And that's what's at work in the life of a believer. And as we remain in Christ, those things grow. And I have some fruit up here with me today. I'm not going to eat it. Don't worry. I actually love this terminology because fruit in our lives serves a couple of purposes. You see, if we're carrying this message of Jesus inside of us, his spirit that's inside of us, fruit in nature has a really important role. We often think about it just as in what we're going to get from it, we're going to eat it. And so if we take an apple, you know, you can see this is the fleshy part of the apple. This is the skin, the core, where the seeds are. If this apple was growing on a tree, it would eventually fall to the ground. And the role that the fleshy part of the apple plays isn't intended naturally just for our consumption. It's actually there to protect the seed. So that when that, it's not just a seed that falls to the ground and gets blown away in the wind and, and disintegrates. The fruit part here is there to protect the seed so that when the apple falls to the ground, the seed has a chance to germinate into the ground and grow a new tree and be productive and fruitful. The fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives protects the message that we carry. Okay, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us, that love, that joy, that peace, that patience, that kindness, that goodness, self-control, it protects the message that we carry. Because if we don't have 
fruit in our life, the message we carry is not that appealing. So if we're going on social media every day and just putting out our opinions about every last thing in the world, when we finally come to put out a message about Jesus, people just go, oh, they talk about Jesus like they talk about politics. Oh, they talk about Jesus like they talk about whichever other thing that's going on in the world. When we have an attitude of superiority, we become judgmental and the fruit that's growing out of that isn't fruit that's appealing for somebody and it doesn't protect the gospel message that we carry inside of us. If we have uh, racism ingrained in our heart somewhere, it doesn't help the, the, the message we're trying to carry. It, actually, these things, these bad attitudes, uh, these things put up roadblocks for other people to encounter Christ. And if we're not careful, instead of having fruit that protects the seed, we're putting up roadblocks and making it harder for people who are away from God to come to faith in him. See, the second thing that fruit does that I love is fruit helps disperse the seed. That means that if you took this coconut after first service, this is what you all do during, while someone's preaching. Someone told me they Googled how many people die a year by coconuts falling on their heads. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna keep you focused on what I'm saying. It's 150. <laughs> this coconut can travel great distances and it can carry the seed with it to faraway places, be planted into the ground, and be productive. You and me as believers in Jesus, with the gospel message inside of us, can travel great distances, and we can share the good news about Jesus here in our neighborhood, here in our cities, and all around the world. So that's, that's the fruit. Tricky things happen when we're not being fruitful with the spirit in our life. And the real temptation, I think, I'll leave you, I'll move on after this comment. I think the real temptation that we have is that when we get distracted from mission, we drift towards self-indulgence and self-righteousness. When we get distracted from mission, we drift towards self-indulgence or self-righteousness. Self-righteousness leads us down a path where we believe that we're better than the people around us and that we're really good. Self-indulgence means we're gonna take advantage of the people around us to get what we want in the world. And neither of those things develop a fruitful, godly life inside of our hearts. Both of them lead us to feeling ways that are dried up on the inside and not really good. Because when we're going over here and we feel like we're better than everybody, we will encounter the realization that our heart is just getting hard. And when we go over here, we become wayward and we, we lean towards addictions and different things because the things we chase, they don't satisfy, so we chase more of them and more of them and more of them and we just end up empty in the end, dissatisfied and spent. But there's a better way because Jesus said that he came to give us life and life abundantly. So today, I have a couple of action steps for us. The first action step is this. We need to pray and call out to God and say, God, renew me. God, renew my focus on your mission. We need to step into times of prayer. We need to participate in the things that Jesus did, reading scriptures, being kind to others, doing good works for the kingdom's sake. You see, at the end of this passage of scripture, it all comes in clear, and when you put it in the context that Jesus is looking at seven days on earth with his followers. He's looking at seven days before the cross. 
And, it, and there's going to be a moment where he recognizes and he knows he's going to be gone. And this message of good news, the message that the kingdom's at hand, the message that there's salvation for all people from all nations, the message that you can all have a, a new life and new clothes and a life of abundance, he's leaving it with his followers. And so he says to them at Matthew eleven twenty two through 26, he says, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you're praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Friends, Jesus is so big that our faith works even when it's small. I'm gonna say it again. Jesus is so big, our faith works even when it's small. And so what Jesus is saying here is, guys, it's time to get in the game. You know, all of us like to watch a football game or watch a basketball game or a sporting event, a soccer match, and we can cheer and we can celebrate from the stands and we can try to do our part cheering. But I believe it's different. I believe what Jesus is doing in this moment here in the New Testament is the same thing God is doing in the church today. He's looking around the church and he's saying, you know what? I've seen you cheering, but it's time to get in the game. It's time to participate in the mission of the gospel. It's time to participate. And he's trying to motivate his followers to say, listen, it's good that you've come to church. It's good that you've joined online. It's good that you're hearing the gospel preached today, but it's time for you to take it and carry it and let the fruit of your life make it attractive and be a witness to the people around you. We can pray for God's help, pray for God's people, pray for those who don't know God yet. We can pray believing that all things are possible. We can pray for a renewal of God's Holy Spirit inside of us. The next thing we do after we say, God, renew me, it's our turn to remove roadblocks for others. The way that you remove roadblocks is really simple. You show people that you're for them. Show people that you're for them. I wanna give you a challenge this week, just a really simple application step that you can take. I want you to be intentionally for somebody this week. If you're a social media user, I'm not here to put you down today, I'm here to put you to work today. Instead of highlighting yourself this week, I want you to highlight somebody else. Use your social media platform to give a shout out, to celebrate, to honor, to acknowledge a friend, coworker, neighbor, sibling, whatever it is. They don't have to be a believer, just show them, you know what? I'm for you. If you're not all about the technology, that's okay, you can do it. I do sometimes. Every so often, God drops it on my heart and I, I grab an envelope and a card and I flip it open. I just write a note to somebody of encouragement. I get about three lines in and my hand starts to cramp because I don't write that much anymore. Do something like that. Throw a gift card in there. Buy somebody a Starbucks. Show people that you're for them. Just feeling it in your heart doesn't show somebody in a way that they understand it. Actually take a step to show somebody you're for them. Make room for them. Invite somebody to eat with you, to sit with you, to church with you. Do something intentional this week that with the sweetness of the fruit in your life, somebody would want to respond to can show somebody Jesus this week. That's the temple, that's the tree, that's you and me. I'm gonna invite you to stand with me today for a moment.
As we're coming to the end of this sermon, I recognize that there's people under the sound of my voice today who you came to church or you joined online. If you're having a moment of honesty with yourself, you'd acknowledge it's dry on the inside. Spiritually, you just feel empty. The weight of the decisions that you've made in your life that you made decisions that have hurt other people, that have hurt the heart of God, the Bible calls that sin. The weight of that is just overwhelming today. I have good news for you. Jesus is for you. A week after this moment in the scripture, Jesus, after having lived just an amazing life, a perfect life, where he literally showed us how to live, Jesus said, you know what? I'll take your sin and your shame and I'll bear that burden for you. And he put it to death on a cross. He was raised to life so you could be given newness today, a fresh start today. You could have those new clothes that the scripture talks about. I want everyone just to close your eyes with me today. Today, if you feel that in your heart that you need Jesus to step into your story, that you need Jesus to make you new, maybe you felt like a foreigner, you're far from God and spiritual things, but today you recognize you want that Jesus that gives life and life in abundance, who gives forgiveness for sins. I'm gonna invite you just to raise your hand with me today. Just keep it up. I wanna acknowledge you in a prayer. Just put your hand up. Thank you. Just wait a moment here. Thank you in the balcony. Thank you all across the room. There's hands that are up. If you have your hand up, I wanna pray with you today. And I'm, I'm gonna invite you to repeat a prayer after me. And it's a prayer that I mean from my heart. And if you mean the prayer from your heart too, just like the scripture we read earlier, if you believe Jesus and accept him, God has new life for you today. And he'll forgive your sin and give you a fresh start. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that I need you. I've done things that have hurt others and that have hurt your heart. Please forgive me today. Please give me new life today. Please put your spirit inside of me. I want to live for you your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just celebrate real quick with those who made that decision. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. You can learn more about the various ministries that Emmanuel offers and see Sunday services live every week. Check out emmanuelcc.org for details. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.